Matthew chapter 8, or if you have the Pew Bible in front of you, page 1033, we're going to be reading from chapter 8, verses 1 through 22. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the airs have, have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. May God bless the reading of his word. Keep your Bible open there to Matthew chapter 8, if you will. I want to invite us to prayer before we get into this text this morning. I want you to, to pray this morning that the Spirit of God would speak to you. We come to a text of Scripture that we begin to consider the miracles of Jesus. And a lot of times we come to these texts and we think of how great Jesus is, and that's what He did back then. And I really want us to consider what Jesus is doing and what Matthew is trying to teach us about Christ this morning. So would you go to the Lord in prayer with me? Pray first that the Word would be clear and uh, that you and I would understand it by the power of the Spirit. Then pray that the Lord would change us by His Word and that we would respond to the Word of God in obedience to what Christ is saying to us this morning. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather as a church family. We thank you that you give us your word, that you have inspired it by the Spirit of God. We have a sure word, the holy word of God. And thank you that Matthew is obedient in writing down what it is that we need to know about the King who will be King forever. 
This morning, Lord, we pray that you'd speak to our hearts through the word. Lord, I pray you give me clarity of thought as I walk through this text with us. There's much here, much that we will not get to, Lord, but I pray that you would guide our time, that we would get to the things that are necessary for us to be transformed by the Spirit of God through the Word of God. And we would go away from this place knowing that we in these moments have heard the Word of our God. So, Lord, that it can't be my Word, it's your Word, and so would you just... By your grace, take anything that I would say that is not according to your will and an accurate explanation of your word, take it out of my mind. And Lord, bless these moments. We might be changed. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I welcome you here. If you're just joining us, we are in the middle of a study of the Gospel of Matthew. We're actually in a particular section of this Gospel that teaches us about the teaching ministry, or excuse me, the general ministry of Christ. We started this section back in Matthew chapter 4. It started there when Jesus started his ministry, and we began with a statement in chapter 4, verse 23. Matthew says that the ministry of Jesus included teaching, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God and healing. And we've started to see those three uh, characteristics of Jesus' ministry, those three actions. We jumped into chapter 5, which is uh, an excellent example of Jesus' teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. We spent a couple of weeks there looking at the teaching of Christ, and hopefully that teaching has transformed all of us, as I know it has transformed me by the Spirit of God, just studying through it and preaching it again. And then we come, we come out of... Of that Sermon on the Mount this week in chapter 8. And we will begin to see the other two portions, I believe, of what Matthew is saying is the ministry of Christ. And so chapters 8 and 9 wrap up this section of the ministry of Jesus where uh, um, Jesus has been teaching, he has been healing, and he is proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. There's a pattern in chapters 8 and 9 that we will see over the next couple of weeks, and it goes something like this. After we have the teaching of Jesus in Matthews 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, his ministry then broadens out. We see that the crowds are following him, and Matthew is not going to go in chronological order necessarily, but he is going to go in an order to teach us something about Christ. So there are three miracles that we'll deal with today, and then there's some proclamation about the kingdom. There are then three more miracles, and then some more proclamation about the kingdom, and then there are three more miracles, and then there's a summary of Jesus' ministry at the end of chapter 9, beginning in verse 35, that matches chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus goes about in all the towns and villages, healing their afflictions, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and teaching in their synagogues. And so we see this book ended Jesus ministry here of teaching healing and proclaiming the gospel this morning we deal with the first of those um, cycles of three miracles and some teaching of Jesus here in the first 22 verses of Matthew chapter 8 at the end of chapter 7 when Jesus finished that teaching we read there that once he had finished his teaching the crowds were astonished at his teaching, at the Sermon on the Mount. So the crowds are astonished at the authority of Jesus and the authority with which he teaches. You remember, as we went through the sermon, Jesus is teaching in this sermon, proclaiming 
the kingdom of heaven with great authority. He says, you've heard it said, but I say to you, Jesus is speaking in the place of God, showing us the law of God and showing us how to come into the kingdom of God and enjoy life there as those who are wholly transformed by Christ. And so we've said he was teaching us how to be kingdom men and women, how to live in this forever kingdom. The people were astonished and what happens? They begin to follow Jesus. So chapter 8, verse 1, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Those who had been astonished by his teaching are going to follow after Jesus. And now Matthew is going to show us that Jesus' authority was not just in his teaching, it was in his healing and is proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And so we get a glimpse into the ministry of Jesus. And in this first section, he is going to introduce us to three people that came in contact with Jesus as he performed his miracles. As I was studying this and even writing the sermon out on Friday morning, I, uh, I told Steve and Matt, who were in the office, I said, what's this sound like? The message this week starts out with a leper, a Gentile soldier, and a woman. Starts out sounding like almost a bad joke to you, but there are three miracles here that we're going to be introduced to three people that need Jesus, and you and I need to have this encounter with Christ too, and then we need to take heed to his counseling, his counsel about the kingdom of God at the end of our text. So let's look at it. A leper, a Gentile soldier, and a woman who encounter the Savior. First, a leper. You heard the text read. Leprosy is just a catch-all term in the Word of God. It is a term that we put all varieties of skin diseases under, which would include what you and I know as true leprosy today, which would just be called Hansen's disease. But this disease we were introduced to, if you remember, way back in the Old Testament as we were studying through the Pentateuch, we found out in Numbers chapter 11, for example, that those who were lepers were considered the living dead. They were already dead as those who would look at them and say they're gone. And so there were ways that Jesus and the law, or excuse me, God and the law taught us or taught his people to deal with leprosy. You see, the disease entails more than just the physical disease, the physical skin disease that you have. It was an uncleanness that came. And so we were introduced to the law in the law of Moses in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14 to the fact that the disease of leprosy had much more than just physical consequences. There was an uncleanness that must be taken care of by the Lord. Not only was there an uncleanness, there was a separation that came. There was a separation from others. As a matter of fact, lepers would always dress in ragged clothing, and they would have to scream out or yell as they came in contact with someone else, whether someone was approaching them or whether they were approaching someone, they would have to yell, unclean, unclean. And so this morning as we come to this text, I want you to feel the weight of what is happening here. There are great crowds following after Jesus, and a leper takes the risk to come to Jesus, kneel down in front of him, and say, Jesus, if you will... Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. You see, leprosy was a picture of sinfulness. It was a picture of our sin, and it is so in this miracle. Notice the language in chapter 8, verses 2 through 5 is not, they are not, or excuse me, 2 through 4, the, the language is not that of just healing, it's the language of cleansing. Notice what the leper says, if you will, you can make me clean. 
clean. The leprosy that this man would have had was one of uncleanness that he would have had in his life. It's more than just external. And certainly as you and I read it today, we will have the application that what is wrong with us is certainly more than external. It is something that is an uncleanness in us. And so I want you to note two things about this miracle before we move on. First, I want you to note the conviction of the leper. The conviction of the leper. He comes, he kneels before the Lord, and he makes this statement. Notice it's not even really a request yet of Jesus. If you will, you can make me clean. He has a conviction about the power of our Savior. He comes to Jesus knowing that you have the power and the ability to make me clean. In his statement though, he is revealing his faith in Jesus. He has heard of him. He has maybe even heard his teaching. He's certainly heard of what Jesus has been doing. And so he comes and says, you have the power and ability to make me clean. Jesus, then I want you to note his compassion. Look at verse 3. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Don't read over that so quickly to not note in your mind that a leper was outcast. He was one that was put out of society. They had places where they could live and places that they could not come and could not enter into. And so when he would come and be in this crowd, he was supposed to be crying out unclean, unclean as he comes to Jesus. Jesus who reaches down and touches him. If you and I would have been in the crowd that day, there is no doubt that there would have been a unanimous gasp of the crowd. Jesus is touching a leper. Can you imagine being the leper whom Jesus was not supposed to touch, who perhaps has not been touched in years, and yet Jesus reaches out and touches the leper? I think Peggy Jo is probably up here playing in her mind the old southern gospel song, He Touched Me, that some of you have heard. And you know that the wonder of Jesus, because you too have been in that situation where Jesus touches you. Here physically, this disease that is destroying this man's life both physically and relationally with others Jesus comes and his compassion is seen in that he reaches out and touches the leper and the leprosy leaves him doesn't just say the leprosy leaves it says Jesus reached out touched him and Jesus spoke two words I will be clean it's four words in your English translation two words in the Greek I will It is my desire, it is my uh, decision, I will, and be clean. And so immediately, watch this, the leprosy was cleansed. And so Jesus' compassion leads to this healing in this man who's revealed his faith and his statement, if you will, you, Jesus, have the power and the ability to make me clean. And Jesus does will it, and he is clean. Jesus says, tell no one in verse 4. But you go and keep the law of Moses. Present yourself to the priest. Do what the law commands for you to be restored. And Jesus says for a proof to them. And I think Jesus is going to say that I've not come to abolish the law. I want you to live holy in your life. Secondly, as a Gentile soldier beginning in verse 5. Again, as the soldier comes to Jesus, there's not so much a request as there is a statement that reveals his faith in Jesus' power and ability. Look at verse 6. The soldier comes to Jesus. He says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And so Jesus' response now becomes really curious to me because he says, I'll come and heal him. And the man says, no, Lord, don't come to my house. 
It is interesting that in the first sense, we saw that Jesus, if he were to touch the leper, according to the law, Jesus would become unclean, but our Savior doesn't touch what is unclean and become unclean. Rather, our Savior touches what is unclean and it becomes clean. Here, if Jesus would have entered the house of a Gentile, he too, again, he would have been become unclean. And so I think the Greek would allow us to, ask the, to see that Jesus may be asking a question. Would you have me to come to your house? Either way, the point is clear. Jesus is willing to do what it takes to respond to this man's faith. And we're going to see why in just a moment. So the ESV says... I will come and heal him. I'll come to your house with you. And the man responds to this. Look at verse 8. The reason we have that is to get to the man's response and to see this man, this Gentile soldier's heart toward Christ. Look at verse 8. Lord, I am not worthy to have you to come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. You don't have to come. Your word is enough. So not only was Jesus offering to come and and would have come to the man's house to respond to the faith, Jesus is asking a question or making a statement that draws out this man's faith for us to see and, and, and respond even to his faith as Jesus does. This man says, Lord, I'm not worthy of you doing that. There's no need for you to come there. You have the authority and you have the power to do something about it just by speaking a word. And the man then goes into talking about authority. Now, authority has been something you and I have looked at in this text, in this gospel already. And so I believe there is a, there's a high point of the beginning of Matthew right here in this story that I don't want us to miss this morning. You see, the soldier knew about authority. He says to Jesus, notice this, I too am under authority. And I have those that are under my authority. I think that what we're seeing in this Gentile that should know nothing about the king, the son of Abraham, the son of David, he comes and has so much trust. He's just observed Jesus from the outside and he says, I too am like you. I am under authority. Jesus, as a matter of fact, will say to us, I have not come to do my own will, but I've come to do the will of my father. Jesus is under the authority of the Father. He has subordinated himself to the Father. He's come to do his will to become our Savior, our King. And so Jesus, under authority, this man says, I too am under authority and I have those that I command. Notice what he says. I have some. If I say come, they come. If I say go, they go. If I say do this, they do that. They respond to the authority, the word of the authority of the commanding officer of the centurion. This Gentile soldier knows something about authority. And so he says, Jesus, I know that you have the power and you have the authority. I'm not worthy for you to come, but you have the authority to do something about this. Will you do it? Will you do it? He understands the authority of our Savior. And I want you to notice that in verse 13, Jesus heals the soldier's servant. He says at the end of verse 13, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And that the servant was healed at that very moment. Why was the servant healed? I want you to note this. The healing of the servant, that miracle that Jesus does here in Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13, this miracle is not the point of this story. The point of this story is the faith of the Gentile soldier, one who is unworthy 
has come to Jesus, displayed faith, and Jesus does respond by granting the man's request, but Jesus is going to call our attention to his faith. It's the same thing that happened in verse 1 through 4. The healing, physical healing of the leper is not the point of the story. The point is the faith of the leper and Jesus' response to faith. Here, Jesus responds to this faith and he explains this faith to us. So don't miss verses 10 through 12. Hard verses for us. Look at it with me. Jesus heard this. He marveled and said to those who followed him. Now note his marvel. Leon Morris in his commentary on this text says Jesus only marvels twice in the New Testament. Once is here and he's marveling at the faith of a Gentile soldier. The only other time he's marveling is at the lack of faith of the Jews. Those who we would expect to recognize the Savior, Jesus marvels that they don't and they don't have faith. And those that we would not expect to recognize our Savior and respond to Him in faith or even come into this crowd and say what He said to Jesus, the one that we would not expect, He is the one who responds in faith, such faith that Jesus marvels at His faith. Don't miss the weight of Jesus marveling at His faith. Now, He tells us why. Look on with me in verse 10. Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Now the hard instruction. Notice he first calls attention to the soldier's faith. This is saving faith. This is the kind of faith that you and I must have. But then he gives a picture of the forever kingdom and what this faith shows us. Watch it with me. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Get the picture. Jesus, I'm unworthy for you to come into my house. Jesus marvels at his faith and says, many will come into my house and recline at table. I think he's pointing us to this unworthy Gentile and says, this kind of faith is going to bring him into the kingdom. He will, you, you, unworthy, you're going to be invited to my house. You will recline at table with the patriarchs. You will enjoy meals forever in the eternal kingdom. Notice many from east and west. Luke in telling this story adds north and south. The point is the book of Revelation's description of this. There will be those from every tribe, tongue, and nation that will gather around the throne. There will be many that perhaps you would not expect and I would not expect. No one would expect the Gentile soldier to come to Jesus with this kind of faith. And Jesus is pointing out his marvel at that faith in contrast to, read on, in contrast to this. Verse 12, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. Now we'll read on in a minute and talk about what Jesus is saying there. But look what he's saying. There will be many who will come from east and west that will recline at table in the kingdom of heaven. So you can be a part of the kingdom of heaven. Verse 12, but the sons of the kingdom, they, many of them, will be thrown into outer darkness. Look at what he's saying. There will be many who will come that will not be expected. No one expect the Gentile soldier to be in the kingdom. But everyone would expect the religious people. We already started dealing with this last week. Jesus was already confronting the religious people last week. You and I, the churchgoers. And he says, those who are sons of the kingdom, those who are physical 
children of Abraham, they are going to be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's saying they're going to be going and spending eternity separated from God in a place called hell, outer darkness, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. They will not sit at the table. Those who believe they are worthy, those who are sons of the kingdom, those who are physical children of Abraham, if they do not put their faith in Christ, if you, churchgoer, do not surrender all, give Christ your heart. You who sit in church and trust every week, I'm here, I do right, I'm better than those folks, I live better than many other folks, and we would all look at you and say, you're going to get into the kingdom. You're such a great person. You're such a great guy. You never mess up. You don't get ill. You don't do these things. You don't do what is evil. You certainly will get into heaven if anybody does. Jesus says you will bust hell wide open with everybody thinking you're a son of the kingdom. But you will be thrown out. What's the difference? The Gentile soldier comes to Jesus in his unworthiness and he says, I know you have the power to heal. You have the authority to do it. I trust in you. And so I put it in front of you and say it's yours. If you choose to heal, then heal. But you have the authority to do so. You have the power to do so. The question is, are you willing? Here it is. And Jesus says that kind of faith in the king is the kind of faith that is going to be the faith that will bring you into the kingdom of heaven. Church, this morning that confronts you, it confronts me. Jesus marvel at this kind of faith. Let's move. Verse 14. Jesus enters Peter's house. He saw Peter's mother-in-law lying sick with a fever in the bed. We read about this in Mark chapter 1 when we were studying through the gospel of Mark. And we come to what Jesus says in verse 15, or excuse me, what Matthew says in verse 15 calls our attention to something that's not recorded for us in the other gospels, which is Matthew's focus here. He says, he touched her hand, the fever left her. Watch this. She rose and began to serve him. Matthew is calling out for us this miracle of, of this lady who is lying on a bed sick with a fever. Jesus reaches down, touches her hand, and the fever leaves her. And immediately she gets up and begins to serve the one who healed her. Matthew focuses our attention here on her service to the healer. And read on. He goes into this general description of the rest of Jesus' ministry. That evening, they brought those who were demon-oppressed, and by His word, they were cast out. They brought those who were diseased, and He healed them. And Matthew is careful always to tell us, Jesus is the forever King who has been prophesied to us. So he says in verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant is Jesus. Rather, Jesus is the suffering servant of Matthew of Isaiah 53. And he took our illnesses. He bore our 
diseases. Jesus came to take these things from us and bear them himself so that he would bear the weight of sin and the weight of our particular sin, but he also would bear the weight of sin in general. You see, you can't tie all diseases and all leprosy and all of these things to your direct sin. Sometimes you can, but not always. But Jesus comes to take all of the effects of sin and he will restore everything. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This is our Savior, church. We worship Him together. And so Matthew equates Jesus' healing here with His role as God's chosen servant to come to bear our disease and take our illnesses. We have a Savior who heals and accepts our service to Him. And so, very quickly, in these three miracles, we find great gospel application. That is this. Number one, you have an uncleanness as bad as leprosy. You see, leprosy is just a picture of our sinful condition. Lepers were the walking dead. They were unclean, and by faith they came to Jesus. By faith you come to Jesus, and He will cleanse you. Trust in His power to cleanse. You see, He comes and shows His authority and His power, and if you and I will come in complete faith to Him, surrendering all, come and risk everything to kneel before the Savior and say, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He will touch you. He is one full of compassion, and He'll take your uncleanness. He's the only one that can come to you and touch your uncleanness, and you become clean rather than Him becoming unclean. So trust in the power of Jesus. He has the power to cleanse you. But secondly, with the Gentile soldier, you have an unworthiness as bad as this Gentile soldier. You have an unworthiness just as bad as this Gentile soldier. This morning, I would say to us, the gospel application is for us to recognize that nothing commends us to Jesus. We must trust in His authority to heal whom He chooses only by His Word That is all that's necessary. There is nothing else than the Word of God coming and cleansing us. And John would tell us the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that Word went to the cross. And so it is by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Word of God, that you and I are saved. And you and I have an unworthiness that we must bring and say, Lord, I am unworthy, but you have the authority. Ask Him to heal trust Jesus. He has the the authority to bring you into the eternal kingdom. You see this morning, church, I am not a physical son of the kingdom, but I have become a son of the kingdom by the word of God. Thirdly, you can be healed and serve the king who healed you, just as Peter's mother-in-law. You can be healed and serve the king who healed you just like her. You and I have been healed, those who have come to Christ, and now we seek to serve the king with no expectations other than serving to the glory of the king we can give our lives and spend them in service to the king there is nothing that i bring to jesus and when i come i give him everything that i am and i everything that i have and i serve him wholeheartedly without expectation you see matthew then in verse 18 turns our attention to jesus interaction with those who would want to be disciples like you and I. You say this morning, I want to come and I want to be the the unclean that is cleaned. I want to be the unworthy that 
His faith is commended. I want to be the one who is healed and serves Christ. And so Jesus then has some interaction proclaiming the kingdom of God for us and what it means to be a follower of Christ in verses 18 through 22. And so I want us to end by looking at these this morning. Two conversations Jesus has with two would-be disciples. Verse 18. First, there's a scribe who comes. Now notice this risk of a scribe. The scribe would have been the religious leader. This is the person that Jesus has already been saying, just back up in the, in the healing of the Gentile soldier. This is the one that you would not expect to come. And this is the one that he would expect to be in the kingdom. And yet he is coming to say, Jesus, look at his unconditional commitment to Christ. Look at verse 15. Excuse me, verse 19. Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. His commitment is unconditional. He commits to come to Christ and follow Him anywhere. Wherever you go, Lord, I will follow you. Notice what Jesus says. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. I don't make too much of this and try to make some kind of um, wonderful statement. You just know this. Foxes, Jesus already taught about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, God, takes care of the birds of the air. Foxes have holes. They have homes. Birds have nests. God provides for them, so they make nests. They have somewhere, meager as it may be to our eyes, to lay their head. And Jesus says, I don't even have a home. I'm going to live on this earth. And Jesus, in, within his ministry, somewhere in his early 30s, most likely, he says, I don't even have a home. I don't have anywhere to call my own. And Jesus is saying to this scribe, to, to say that you're going to follow me, note, Jesus knows his heart, just like he knows your heart. And this man might want to say, outwardly, I want to follow you. I'll give you anything. I'll follow you anywhere. And Jesus says, I want to commit, I want to confront your heart. And here's what I'm going to confront your heart with. I don't even have a place to call my own. Will you then come and follow me? Will you surrender every earthly comfort that you have? You see, when you and I make the commitment to this kind of faith, the kind of faith that a leper who literally has nothing, he has been cast out, the kind of faith that this Gentile soldier who risked everything to come into this Jewish crowd primarily and come to Jesus and ask for his healing, to show this kind of faith in Jesus, the risk that they had was literally risking it all. They may lose everything. The leper already lost everything. The Gentile soldier may lose everything and they come to Jesus because he is their only hope is that the way that you and I come to Christ or do we come to Christ so often saying Jesus I'll follow you but here are my standards now you don't have to list them out to Jesus but you have them unspoken in your heart as long as I keep my job as long as I keep a comfortable life in a house and some of the earthly comforts that I have, how do I know that we make those lists? Because I deal with so many people, and you may or may not be that person sitting in this room, but I know that we make those lists because when Jesus begins to take something away from you, when you lose material goods, you don't turn and run to Jesus, you run away from Him. Jesus says, you must forsake earthly comforts. Church, if you're sitting there saying, Pastor, that, that's just hard. I want to remind you this morning, discipleship is hard and the cost is high. Jesus wants you to want Him even if you have nothing else. Nothing. No earthly comforts. Jesus said, I don't even have a place to stay. You still want to follow me? You still want to come? Yes. That would be your response. Yes, Jesus. It doesn't matter what else I have. I am coming after you, secondly, there's another disciple. Notice the change. It was a scribe who's risking. Now there's a disciple who comes and he says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. 
And Jesus said to him, watch this, here's the command. We've heard it already twice in this gospel. We hear it again, follow me. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. Now, I don't know the situation from this man, but it seems to me logically that if he is saying, let me first go and bury my father, he's concerned about his, his responsibility to his father. It seems to me, church, that his father is probably not dead because if he's concerned with his responsibility, then he wouldn't be out with the crowd following Jesus. He'd be home with his father. Even if his father was close to death and this was his concern, it seems like if he were to have integrity about his concern, he wouldn't be following Jesus. So I don't even think the man's father is even really close to death. Maybe he's just a little older. He knows that he wants to do some things. He's got other priorities. That's the point. And even if his other priorities deal with family, right? So we have the first guy, the scribe. We would say, well, it's a basic right to have food and shelter. And Jesus says, even if you don't have them, you're going to follow me then? This man says, well, I've got basic relationships. I've got my father to take care of, and I have other expectations of my life and earthly relationships to take care of. And Jesus says, follow me. I'm the king. Come after me. Follow me. Risk everything. Jesus will later tell us, if your love for mother, father, son, or daughter, or even your own life is greater than your love for me, then you hate me. You must hate them. Your love for them must look like hate compared to your love for me. Notice the obedience. This is what the disciple is pulled with here. Here's the obedience. Will you obey Jesus? Follow me. You see, church, this morning I want you to know that discipleship is hard. It costs you everything. But you gain everything. Will you lose it all in order to gain a king who is king forever. Will you put everything on the line for him? Everything. Will you put your houses and lands and friendships and relationships? Will you say, Lord, I hold earthly comforts with open hands. I hold every relationship with an open hand because I come like a leper and I am unclean. And if you will clean me, then everything is yours because I need to be clean. Will you come with open hands with your earthly relationships and your, your earthly comforts and say, Lord, I come to you as one who is unworthy. I am not worthy to have you come into my life or into my house, but you have the authority to heal. So if you will heal, I come to you. I believe you have that authority. You are king. Reminded of the scene where Susie is talking to the beaver and you've already heard the wonderful uh, quotation in C.S. Lewis's Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, where she says, he's a lion? Is he, is, he, is he quite safe? And the beaver says, of course not, but he's good. He's the king. Will you come to the king and say, Lord, I hold my life, whatever it is, it's yours, because you are the king, I come to you. Will you heal? Will you save? Will you redeem? And you know the king has never disappointed. He's the king. Church, this morning I want to invite us to come before this king as the leper who has nothing and could risk everything to gain everything. There's no holding on to any earthly comforts for him. Would you come to the king and say, I don't hold on to anything. Come as the Gentile soldier who should not be in the kingdom, but he has faith. You and I are unworthy. We should not be in the kingdom, but we recognize our lack of authority to do anything about it and come to the one who has the authority and risk it all to come and say, 
you have the authority. Would you save? Would you heal? Come as Peter's mother-in-law is the woman who was given her life back. She was lying on a bed, sick, and he healed. Would you come as she does with all of the rest of her life and say, I'm going to serve him. That's what Matthew's saying there. I, she rose and served him. Would you come to serve the king? Would you give him everything?